right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Strength Academy Podcast. I know it's been a while, but Mundo here. Once again, I'm joined by Grayson. How's it going, everybody? And so we wanted to kind of just uh, capture, you, uh, cap, you know, keep you guys up to date on what's been going on and kind of like capture what's been going on in our training and our lives. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's talk about training and how it's been going during this, this pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean... Um... Luckily, uh, you know, you and I have still had access uh, to the gym here since um, it's our private space now. We can kind of come and go as we please. So I've been able to maintain some regularity, um, certainly working out more regularly than we're doing the podcast. But, uh, you know, it's been it's been going pretty good, uh, you know, getting to work on basically getting to take a lot of time. So, uh, you know, when things are at full speed, it's kind of, uh, you know, trying to cram it in but I can really take my time. So I've been warming up a lot more thoroughly and uh, taking time to do cool down exercises and stuff. So, I mean, those are some good habits that, you know, hopefully can carry over uh, from there. But uh, yeah, so I mean, our, our initial hiatus was kind of prompted by uh, you got not COVID-19, but something equally gross for a couple of weeks there. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I don't know if it was like quite the flu, but like it was something flu-like. I had it for three weeks and then I kind of just fell off the map like I couldn't couldn't do anything I was just at home like sick so yeah and I think that you know we'll we'll use this as a, a good example of you know it's it's hard to maintain a routine once you break it so we had done um, essentially a podcast every week for 69 weeks and then one or two misses and it's really hard to get the ball rolling again so I'm happy to be back and uh, we'll try to keep it more regular as we keep going along so Mundo, you, uh, in restarting recently, um, I decided just to have a little bit more fun with it since Masters Nationals has been uh, kind of taken down. So what, uh, what did you decide on for uh, just kind of having some fun with training? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that are probably struggling to maintain like a competition mindset, like pushing towards something because it's kind of amorphous about whether or not any of that stuff's really going to be happening. Right. So like, uh, yeah. So what, what kind of stuff are you working on just to kind of make training a little bit more fun? Yeah. So, uh, Masters Nationals was supposed to be April 16th and that date came and went like it just passed. And so I decided like, well, I don't know when the next competition is going to be. So I might as well just have a little bit of fun. Um, I was feeling pretty beat up, uh, I was going to go into the competition for Masters Nationals kind of like not doing my best lifts anyway. So I was kind of kind of gearing up to not have a good, not necessarily not have a good meet, but like I know it wasn't my best. It wasn't going to be my best effort um, on the platform. So uh, some things were already starting to, to ache and, and start to get some pains in my shoulder and things like that. So I decided it would be better to just have some fun, do some bodybuilding, maybe rehab some stuff and kind of just work on some of the things that I've been neglecting. and. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, hopefully uh, get back on track, especially after being sick. It's been it's been really hard, but I think for the most part, uh, what I'm going to be doing is something pretty close to what the catalyst predator cycle is. So maybe with some modifications, but uh, yeah, it's just some some fun keeping the classical lifts in, but a lot of bodybuilding work and just trying to stay motivated to, to keep working out without beating myself down mentally about like what I'm doing as far as like what's on the bar and stuff like that. So. It's more of just a, uh, having a fun approach to training as opposed to like, oh, I, I'm in competition prep right now, so I got to, you know, get my butt in gear. So it's more I'm having fun. I'm, I'm just, you know, taking it easy and um, just doing enough to keep me in shape, but nothing that's, that's too, you know, competition intensive. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, for, for you guys that are kind of picking your own programs or working without a coach, um, you know, thank you for checking back in with us after the break. But um, also, yeah, if you want something kind of fun that uh, that cycle Mundo mentioned, if you look up Predator Cycle and Catalyst, it, it's uh, it's a pretty cool format in that the squats aren't percentage-based. It's just reps-based, and you pick your own weights. Um, the competition lifts are just a bunch of doubles, and then it's mostly bodybuilding work. So if you guys are looking for something to kind of do and you don't have anybody kind of giving you programs, but you're having a hard time like pushing yourself to 90% singles or trying to peak, it might, it might be a fun kind of thing to take a look at and use as a skeleton um, to kind of have a little bit more fun in training. I know that a lot of our people, um, you know, are, are having a harder time kind of staying motivated because it's it's been what nine nine weeks that we've been uh on a on a forced stay at home and uh it's looking like uh the gym will be open again on in june if everything goes according to plan but we were also supposed to be open on the 21st of april if everything went according to plan so it's just kind of an exercise in you know being trying to get more comfortable not knowing what's going to happen and taking some pressure off yourself and just kind of having some more fun and lifting might, might be a good approach for a lot of people. Um, just taking time to work on things that you don't usually take the time to work on. So really rehabbing your shoulders and doing all that kind of prep work. Um, yeah, well, especially because like I had an athlete, I was programming her a short cycle to hopefully get us through the quarantine and kind of just maybe hopefully get back into the gym and start training again, maybe using some of the apparatuses that we have, like blocks and things like that, and some of the other stuff that we implement in our training every now and then, but uh, I, I had to start over with her because now we're, you know, we're still pushing this, this quarantine edition, and uh, now we're just gonna back off, take things a little more easy, and probably try to, to build up a little more strength and just work on some of the lighter stuff for a while and just take a break from the heavy stuff, because I know it's just taxing, it can be taxing physically, but also mentally. And, and you don't want to, I don't want to overload people, especially with things being the way they are. And, you know, there's a lot of stress going on. And some people aren't, aren't as willing to embrace the unknown as, as others are. So um, it, it could take its toll for sure on the, on the mental side of things. So um, yeah, I just decided to try to, let's regroup, let's add some volume back in, make like some training light and fun again. And uh, yeah, let's just get back to some, some, some light training. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the things that's kind of been a, a good exercise for me over the last few weeks is that we have a pretty good chunk of the gym who needs to be doing workouts at home and really only have a PVC pipe and maybe a couple of dumbbells laying around. So it's been kind of interesting from a programming standpoint, like being able to focus on all the body weight exercises that I kind of think are... Um, you know, good fundamentals. So like having good, we, we just wrapped up a block of, you know, building towards, uh, you know, testing a max set of push-ups and trying to build everybody up to work on the hardest form of push-up that they can do. And, you know, trying to get creative with balance exercises and various forms of lunging and stuff. So it's been kind of fun to, um, you know, try to make what otherwise could be a very boring thing to do working out at home, trying to make it a little bit more uh, exciting within that. And, um, yeah, so hopefully you guys are enjoying those and, uh, you know, as, as 
our members here getting collecting more home equipment. Um, always uh, keep me up to date, like I say in the emails, you know, if you get new equipment and need something spiced up, uh, it's definitely a good way to go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking a lot about, you know, what parts of this quarantine, like, you know, because we're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of reports that, you know, people's mental health is kind of suffering as a result of all of this. And, yeah, um, you know, just the way that I've been feeling kind of on and off super stressed and um, kind of the, the toll that it's taking on everybody. And I'm kind of wondering, so, so what, do you, what do you think about this idea in, in that the, the thing that what might be making us all miserable during this pandemic is that we have a misalignment in values about the things that are actually important. Because theoretically, you know, if you're alone with yourself, it should be good company, right? You know, you should be able to, to kind of hang with that. And I think that part of what might be impacting all of us is that we tie a lot of what we value into two things, like the, the amount that we can work, and it's always, what do you do, right? That's the first question you ask anybody. And so when work is disrupted, you kind of lose that, you know, or it's an upset, you don't see your coworkers. So there's the social isolation component, but I think there's also just the, you know, people who are not working as much as they would, or for us, you know, are working in very different avenues than we usually do. Um, you know, there's, there's this kind of value that we tie to like, oh, I worked really hard today. Right. And it's really hard to feel productive, even if you get a lot of work done and do everything that you need to do at home, it still doesn't feel the same because you didn't get out of your pajamas all day, you know? And then I think that the, the other thing that ties into this is that, you know, one of the, everybody's favorite things to do is that when, as the counter, counterbalance to the work thing is you wanna go out and spend your money. So, you know, like, so like the, the fact that the two things that I, I think that are a problem that we overvalue is what you're doing for a living and then spending money as a form of entertainment. So if you can't go shopping or you can't go out to dinner and you can't do spend, you know, like buy all these things that you thought were making you happy. So maybe the thing that's making us miserable is that we have a misalignment in values about what's important. Because like there's there's a lot of people that that you know would think that they'd kind of long for this imposed adult summer vacation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that part part of it is this uh, attachment to wanting to go out and you know shop or you know tying your identity to your work that is causing some of these uh, upsetting things? Yeah, I think I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I think that a lot of the time we, we tie value to productivity, right? So how valuable you consider yourself is how productive you are, how efficient you are, what you produce or what you, you add, you know, you bring to the table. So a lot of time we think that our work is the only thing that brings us value. Um, and being busy is, is valuable. And I think there's a misalignment because like when you have downtime, it's just you. Right. So then you just deal with yourself and then there's a lot of internal turmoil because like you don't feel like you're doing all that you need to be doing during this downtime or you should be more productive or you should be doing this or you. There's a lot of tugs at your attention for what you should be doing. Yeah. And those things make you feel bad. They make you feel guilty about what you could have accomplished. Like we have been in quarantine for nine weeks and if we look back at it, 
and we say, what did we accomplish in this nine weeks? It may not be a whole lot, but like you consider the strain that we're under and, and the amount of um, stress that people have in their lives due to the change in circumstances, not necessarily the circumstances themselves, but just the change of circumstances causes a lot of stress. So even, even though that wearing a mask might be a no big deal to some people, some people it's a huge deal. They don't want to have anything on their face. And then there's this, you know, tie in with like morality and things like that. Like what, how important is your job during the pandemic? Like if you're a healthcare worker, you're a, you're a hero now, right? Like that wasn't the case before. Like, well, not, just what it feels like to be told that you're non-essential, yeah, or, you know? Or, yeah. Just like, think about not, in, not essential. You're not an essential worker. So, I mean, does that mean what you're doing isn't important anymore? <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, like, it really makes you kind of question like, okay, well, like, why don't we value, you know, well, and it's on some level, it's obvious, you know, like we, you, we need people to be running yeah. healthcare when there's a, you know, virus going around. But, you know, like just the, the wording, I think, is probably eating at some people, you know, like just the and, you know, tying that in is, you know, another thing that I'm sure a lot of you guys are facing is that if you had built up this identity of I'm a weightlifter and I, you know, I train hard and I learned to snatch and clean and jerk and then you don't have the equipment anymore and you can't do that. It's it's this kind of uh, it takes the the things that you've constructed in your life to give it meaning and then you don't have access to those things anymore. And it kind of makes you go, oh man, like, well, what am I without that? Right, yeah. And I think that that's a scary place for a lot of people to be. And I think that a lot of us are always on the go. So as soon as we're by ourselves in the house and it's quiet, it's like, oh no, I'm here. You know, it's just like an onslaught of neurosis and anxiety. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard because it's not as easy as just being like, oh, well, snap out of it. Stop feeling like that. That's yeah. not a thing you can do. So I don't know. I think that, you know, so that, that's been one thing that I've been kind of musing is, is just like, well, what, what exactly is causing all of the, all of the upset? Like what, what's really getting to people about this? And then, you know, I'm trying to balance that with thinking about the things that, I'm doing more now in the quarantine. Like, what do you want to keep when all this is over and things get back to normal? Like, what what have you like? What what sort of things have you been doing in quarantine that you're like, man, I really want to make sure that I still take time to do this. You know, is there anything like reading more or anything like that? You know, because it's I think, I think it could be a good way to reframe things. So it's just like think about the things that you actually like about being forced to stay home yeah and then you know when things go back to normal don't forget about those those things that you've been doing that that are actually you know somewhat enjoyable well one of the things for me is definitely getting more sleep like i've gotten a lot more sleep during this time like i i have gone to sleep earlier and then i wake up later in the morning i don't have to set an alarm clock like i just kind of wake up naturally with with the day and then you know i i, I like that part so i like the amount of sleep that i get so i think that if uh if I can carry that over, that would be great for my training. That would be great for, you know, a lot of people's training if they can carry, carry over small habits like that. Like if maybe you've eaten better or drank more water during the quarantine, um, just small things. But like for me, it's been sleep for sure. Like I, I've slept a lot more. Like I feel more, uh, like I've gotten a lot more rest during this, during this time. 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I'm I'm with you on the sleep thing because it's you know the availability of the afternoon nap is is uh, you know one of those neat things about you know uh, well I, I guess it's going away with modernity but uh, the you know Spanish concept of siesta where it's like well why wouldn't you take a nap in the afternoon and I think a lot of us are kind of tapping into some of that like oh maybe there's some wisdom in working for a couple of hours and then. Right you know, down tuning until the afternoon and finishing things up, you know, cause I think, yeah, the, the more rest for sure. Um, and I think that's, you know, gotta be hard for some folks who this whole thing is making it harder to sleep because you know, you're, you're worried about, uh, making ends or, yeah. you know, like yeah. the, the world crumbling around you. But well, everybody's <laughs> situation is different too. Like some people I know they lost their jobs. Some people, um, you know, have just been furloughed. Some people got laid off and then they might come back as soon as things start picking up again. So like, I know everybody's situation's a lot, a lot different. So some people, you know, actually lost their job. So they had to move somewhere else or they, you know, they had to take a break from weightlifting or, or training and things like that. Or, or maybe like their work hours were adjusted. So they, they're working less. So, you know, thankfully I, I appreciate all the support that we've gotten from, our athletes and the people that have stuck with us throughout this this whole period, uh, I really appreciate that. But like, I know that some people have had it worse than others. It's just everybody's situation is a little bit different, so we can't say, you know, that everybody's kind of starting off. It's just like everything else; nobody starts off on the same level of difficulty. So like, the level of difficulty for the pandemic for some people is going to be extremely difficult, and for some people it's not going to be that hard at all. But it's just the levels of disparity that exist in in our current reality. Yeah, and it's it's just really, you know, we we've kind of ranted about, uh, you know, media projections and the the way that the news is covered before, but you know, the fact that it really seems like you know, depending on who you listen to, it's it's just either it's just ridiculous that nobody can even agree on things that are measurable and observable. You know, like it, it's it's really bizarre that, you know, there there's even, you know, that much debate about, <laughs> like the, I I I know somebody that you know they're they're with someone who you know that it doesn't even think this is happening. <laughs> like it's not real. Yeah. It's not even yeah. You know, like so there's you know this whole people being alone and not really being able to see the impact of things you know, in their own neighborhood, yeah. it kind of, it kind of lends to this like conspiracy thinking that you, that you see. And then, you know, there's, you know, people who are, I think reasonably cautious as, as we all should be. Yeah. But then I also think that there's people that are unnecessarily panicking. And then there's people that are unnecessarily nonchalant about the whole thing. And it's really kind of been interesting to see how all of those different things are playing out. Yeah. And, I mean, it's kind of disheartening in some ways to kind of... <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. Because, like, well, the thing is, like, my, uh, my dad works on cell phone towers, right? And one of the theories that I've heard is that 5G causes the coronavirus. Like, my dad would have been one of the first people to get this virus because, like, he's, he's the one that sets up cell phone towers and puts on uh, antennas and things like that and sets up, you know, signals and, and tests them. So, like, he would have been one of the first people to get it. And, you know, he's doing okay. I mean, he's, he's like, in his 60s. So, like... I just what, and the thing is like when there's no clear information of what the truth is, then people will come up with anything to fill in the gaps. 
And I think that's where a lot of the problems come from with misinformation and things like that. So um, wh where people's information get their information from, like if you're getting your information off the conspiracy guy from YouTube, like you may not be filling in all the gaps. So the thing is like, when I look at all the pieces of information from all the different news sources and things like that, there's cause for concern. Like it's a new virus it's, where there's no immunity, there's no herd immunity. So there's not like a built up um, level of, of uh, antibodies in, in people's systems to kind of fight off the virus, like the, like the flu. Um, so it makes it extra dangerous just because there's no, there's no protection against it. And so then we have all these little battles over masks and what's appropriate social distancing and some people care and some people don't. It's just like anything else. It's like, you know, it's just like any other part of life. Some people take it seriously and some people really just don't care. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's battling that, well, I'm probably going to be okay. So I don't care. So it's kind of, you know, we, we did a couple of early um, podcast episodes about, you know, how do you like what what kind of theory of ethics do you operate under? And I think that it's safe to say that the quarantine has turned us all into utilitarians, yeah. you know, because it's it's this, um, you know, it's like, well, what what's more important? And, you know, I think that one of the things that we've kind of landed on is that, you know, keeping everybody as okay as possible is is, you know, minimizing the most harm to the most people, you know. Right is is kind of where we've landed on that and it's kind of been interesting to see you know from a you know thinking about it from an ethics standpoint of like okay well maybe you think it's annoying to do this but are you willing to risk you know infecting somebody else if you don't know that you have the virus and you're like masks is an example yeah, you know yeah, yeah, exactly. and uh you know, touch, touching back around to the 5G, I heard a really interesting explanation for the potential origin of this conspiracy theory is I know that in here in Albuquerque, the week that we went into quarantine, billboards went up all over the city saying, it's here. <laughs> and they were talking about 5G. So that so I heard somebody uh, say that, like, well, maybe people just associated, sure. like, uh, it's uh, here thing with coinciding with lockdown. And, you know, I, there's yeah, there's guess. there's your 5G origin conspiracy theory. But, yeah, there's there's been a lot of uh, I, I mean, I kind of think conspiracy theories are fun. Um, just just to see what people are talking uh, about. Here's like a conspiracy theory for you. Like, okay, so this is just a, this is definitely sidetracked. Like uh, this is not legit conversation. I'm just telling you guys what you know something that I heard. And it was so the 5G network caused a mutation in a bat, and the bat that was mutated was at a live one of those uh, live animal markets in China, and it got eaten at one of those wet markets. And that 5G mutation that was in the bat. <laughs> mutated again into a zoonotic virus once it passed into the guy's system and then it became the COVID-19 COVID like it became like the mutated <laughs> virus again like so it mutated in the bat after the 5G got a hold of it and then it mutated again after the human uh, ate the bat so I, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing um, some of my other favorite uh, loopy things that people have been talking about is that uh we're going to get hit with an asteroid and that this is just a way to make sure that everybody's inside and staying calm, well, I mean, <laughs> which seems like a pretty, bad. you know, it like if, it, yeah, or, you know, or it's a practice run for when there is going to be an asteroid, you know, these, these sort of things, or, uh, Bill Gates did this, 
like there's a whole group of people that think Bill Gates created this virus <laughs> and like unleashed it on the world. Um, Population control type stuff. Yeah, and then you know there's you know the people that are like, oh, this is just a conspiracy to get more people to have more vaccines because there's always somebody yeah. screaming about vaccines on the internet. So I don't know. I think that you know the the added stress and the added isolation is. And and the the general feeling of like you're not getting the whole picture right. from any one person. Right. So like, if you're watching, you know, or consuming right wing media, it's that this thing is all the way overblown. And then if you're consuming, you know, stuff on the other side, it's this is really really serious. And I mean, I think that you know you can probably find that that it it. The people who see, say like, oh, there, it just seems like people are overreacting. There's probably a few people that are. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so the fact that the news seems like, you know, you're not getting a complete picture from anybody leaves this space for conspiracy and, you know, kind of paranoid thinking to creep its way in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's got to be a huge part of it. <laughs> well, um, and, and we're not the news guys. We're not telling you, like, this is le legit or any kind of, any, we're just like philosophically, these ideas come into play because we allow our focus of control to become externalized. And a lot of it is just like, a lot of people, they're looking at all the things that they can't control and that gets them so anxious. It gets them so upset. Like, what, what are we gonna do about this? What are we gonna do about this? And you know, our people aren't wearing masks. How do we address people not wearing masks? So like athletes, if athletes come in here, um, I don't know if they're going to be required to wear a mask while they're working out. Like, how does that work for gyms? And these are things that we need to talk about as things start to reopen and, and we get a better idea of getting back to, um, I'm not going to say normal, but a new baseline, a new baseline for how things are going to operate from here going forward. So, you know, we don't want to operate on conspiracy theories. We don't want to operate on any crazy assumptions. We just want to say, we want to keep our athletes safe and keep people in the gym, keep people moving, keep people motivated to, to continue to accomplish the things that they were doing before this all happened. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's going to be really nice when we can get some semblance of, you know, seeing people more often yeah. and, uh, you know, making sure that, you know, safety is always the, the number one. So you guys can look forward to the smell of Lysol being a constant factor um, once we are reopened. But I mean, I think that we can really, you know, trace this idea of uh, there being kind of like this disconnect in the information sphere of like people being, you know, confined into their own bubbles. Yeah. This was a problem before the virus, right. but I think the virus highlights it as this is how big of a problem it is mm -hmm. because it's fine when nobody agrees about facts about, you know, politics or policy, right? Because, sure. yeah. you know, there's a lot of room for debate and there's you know a lot of different kind of outlooks that people have and that is pretty normal you know and I but I think that the way that clickbait and you know social media has kind of influenced this is that within all of these kind of isolated pockets that existed beforehand it was making people distrust the information coming out of their opposing bubble, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. And that is carried over entirely into this this quarantine situation because we had a distrust of people distrusting 
media, not agreeing on facts, and generally just trying to make the other team lose, right? And that was sort of the whole premise of our kind of like journalism and, you know, political polarization stuff. But now we see the problem that having that kind of fracture in our society of like inability to agree on things or, you know, at least talk about things that are neutral, right? Because things, because really, if you think about it, this should be a neutral issue. It should be a neutral issue. Yeah. Right. Like this, this should be science to this. Like we should, we're all in this. Like we are all collectively as humanity dealing with this right now. So, so, so here's, here's a overly optimistic sentiment. Uh, so maybe one of the silver linings that can come out of this whole thing is reassessing like, oh, okay, well maybe, maybe we need to refine how discourse has been going because we saw that it's clearly endangering people when there's people going around that think this whole thing is made up. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's not, well, it goes, a lot of it goes to like finger pointing, right? Or, or just saying like, you're wrong. If I'm wrong, tell me why I'm wrong. Like that way I can learn. Don't just tell me I'm wrong. That doesn't teach me anything. Like, and, and, and I think a lot of the media is a lot of finger pointing saying this person messed up or they did this wrong or they did that wrong. And it's not, it's not constructive criticism. Media in general is not constructive criticism. Oh, in, yeah. in any format, whether that's journalism, social media, um, the news, anything like that. So like, I limit my my intake of all that stuff, and I try to listen to different viewpoints. And, and Grayson, I think he does a really good job of kind of gathering information from different viewpoints. And so I, I listen to a lot of what he says, and then I'll look into it on my own. But for the most part, like I don't really listen to a lot of like CNN or Fox News or anything in between. I'm just like, I'll pick and choose articles, then I'll look at something that's completely different and wonder why why it's completely different. Like, what is it? Where do they get their information from? Why is it a little bit different? Why are they having this viewpoint? Like, and so you get a better a better picture of what's going on when you have both of those things going on. When you have more information from more sources, and 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 you can pick and choose which ones are more reliable to you. Yeah, and kind of you know keeping it uh, in in tune with the theme of the show. You know, so the. There, I think it was this was Hegel's uh, philosophy, but he was saying that you know, the the way that we make progress is that you have um, the the thesis, which is like this is what we're doing as a society, mm-hmm. and then you have somebody pretend, present the an- antithesis or antithesis, and then what's supposed to happen is that you have the thesis and the antithesis, and then in the middle there becomes the synthesis. And then that synthesis becomes the new thesis, and there's an antithesis. Yeah. And, but all we have right now is thesis and antithesis. Mm-hmm. So like we, we aren't synthesizing any information. We aren't figuring out what's everybody agreeing upon right now and what's everybody disagreeing upon right now. Sure. There's no, there's no like coalescing of the information in the middle. And I think that that's a really kind of cool framework for any sort of like decision making that you're having is is kind of thinking like okay well this is the way that I do it who are the people that are doing it completely differently and then what's what's the what's the point in the middle and this is the same way that I think about um, you know things in regards to weightlifting technique and programming is there's all of these different theses about what what people are doing sure. and there's polar opposites in like 
you know, you stay over the bar forever and you lift from your heels or you, sure. or yeah. you push through the balls of your feet. And then, you know, there's, there's a middle ground. So if you kind of look at, you know, try to use that same kind of mindset of like, okay, well, what's everybody agreeing upon right now? Well, that's probably true. Right. You know, that's probably an efficient way to do things. Um, and then kind of trying to broaden that out to, you know, evaluating actual viewpoints. And I think that the, the problem is, is that the, nobody's talking to each other right? because they just have lumped them into a category of like, oh, well, the other side's evil. Right. And, yeah. and, and, you know, the, the problem with, um, you know, making politics so personal is that once you've labeled somebody as evil, there, there's nothing that they can say or do that'll make you be sympathetic. Right. Yeah, or it takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a, like, an act of, of Congress to, to change somebody's mind. But like, well, so here's the thing, right? Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, a little about, you know, what was it? Uh, just collecting all this information, right? And, and so we're discussing a little bit about weightlifting technique and how some of the techniques vary among different modalities, like the Chinese, the Russians, the, you know, the... Americans do things differently, but if you look at their manuals, we actually all kind of agree on a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's funny because like you would think, oh, the Chinese teach it this way, and the Russians teach it this way, and the Americans teach it this way, but in reality, we're all looking for similar things. There's just nuances that are slightly different. And so I was, we were talking about something that was in the Chinese training manual that is something that we look for in our athletes that we've been training but didn't come up until later, but it's something that we want to implement, but it's something that we describe differently than the Chinese, but it's actually the same thing. And, and this is something that you brought up in training today. So what, what did you think about, how did you come across that? Oh yeah, so, so um, this kind of ties into um, our, our last episode before the break where we were talking about you know, trying to lift more by feel than by think, right? Yeah. And um, in, so one of the things that I've, I've read on, on this break is I, I, I got the um, Ma Strength kind of training, training manual, which is just a bunch of translations of Chinese weightlifting articles. But they had a, had a section which included a drill that's just laying down and trying to feel the muscles in your body and then flex them selectively. Right. And on either Shenzhen Weightlifting or Perfect Lift China, one of those Chinese Instagram pages, they talked about... Um, they, they use the phrasing of uh, qi, right? So in Eastern medicine, there's kind of this idea of, you know, there's this energy in your body. And it kind of clicked that that was kind of what I was trying to talk about when we were talking about lifting more by feel. So like if you kind of focus on a body part, like if you're, so how you do that proprioceptive exercise is you just lay down, then you try to feel what your traps are like, and then you flex them and relax them. And it's really trying to get a feel for, you know, because if you focus on a particular body part, you can kind of feel it even if you're not touching it or it's not moving and nothing's happening to it. So it's like almost like if you like just think about your hand and then you try to feel your hand, but not the skin, but just like what does it feel like on the inside of your hand? And if you kind of focus on it for a second, you go, oh, there's kind of this like energy feeling. There's like a sensation or a tingling or a warmness. And it occurred to me that in when they were talking about in their athletes, they were cueing 
to, to focus your chi or your Q-U-I, I don't know how to pronounce, yeah, pronounce that, key maybe. Um, and they were talking about focusing that energy into your low back and hips while you're in the start position. And I was like, oh man, that's kind of the same thing that we were talking about of like trying to do the lift, like feel your balance from your feet rather than like trying to steer from your head is the same idea of kind of like, if, if you can imagine it, as directing your energy into the parts of the body that are the most important, you can really kind of feel what's happening there. So I thought that was kind of a cool um, thing that we kind of arrived on and then it's like, oh, somebody else is kind of doing this. They're just using a different terminology. And I think that's where the, the biggest debates in weightlifting are actually just people talking past each other. Yeah, it's just it's terminology. Be, yeah, it's, it's, it's a language game. And you know, the fact that what we're getting from the Russians is a translation of a non-English language. Mm -hmm. And then what we're getting from the Chinese is a translation of a non-English language. And then we have the Americans trying to interpret what the translation is. And then you always have to question, how good is this translator? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, so you, you, you see, um, you know, are you saying full foot or midfoot? Well, that's the same thing, man. So, like, yeah, your foot's on the ground. Yeah, your midfoot is where most of the balance is. And you know, if you're saying you know push through your heels, but what people are actually talking about is just keeping your feet flat through the pull. Right. Yeah. So it's not all the way on the heels. So it's it's kind of this. Uh, there's a lot that gets kind of lost in language. Mm -hmm. So a, a, and a lot of times this happens in you know just any ideas that people have is that a lot of times if, if you're having a debate with somebody or you're having a disagreement, it, it might feel weird, but make sure that you define the terms that you're using first. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's a little bit of clarity on that. But um, yeah, that, that concept of, you know, channeling the chi is a really cool way of, saying what we were talking about on that last one. And I think we'll probably revisit this a couple of times because yeah, we'll I think it's interesting. It. And, you know, but using that kind of practice drill of just lay down and try to feel your body parts, not as they're moving or as you're poking them, but just see if you can actually just sit there and focus on what your lats feel like while you're laying down. Yeah. And it's, it seems like a, a thing that wouldn't be super helpful, but when it comes to lifting, there's no time to think in the middle of the pull. It's all, it all has to be done by feel. And a lot of the, you know, reflexes that we rely on, like a stretch reflex, doesn't even make it to the brain. The stretch reflex is a, cir a circuit from um, the spine back to the, back to the leg. So like there's, there's, so like uh, a good example of this is the, like a lot of reflexes don't require cognition because like, if you think about like, if you've ever touched a hot stove, yeah. your hand pulls back before you realized you touched a hot stove. And then a second later you go, ow, my hand, I burned it. Yeah. And that reflex back doesn't even make it to the brain. That's just hand to spine, back to hand, get it out of there. Okay. And, um, I think that that's kind of what we're trying to get at is that you want to make things as autonomous as possible. So if you think about like the, the place that you are when you drive, right? Mm -hmm. You're not 
single-pointedly focused on push the gas pedal. Right, yeah. Stay in the lane. Turn the wheel <laughs> yeah, yeah. 10 degrees to the left. You're kind of in a panoramic state when you drive. You're, you're open and you are aware of the lines that you're driving on in front. Your feet and hands are operating independently. If you've driven the route enough times, you might just not even remember half the turns that you took getting home today. Yeah. But you're also aware of the cars on the side of you. You're checking your mirror. So there's this kind of panoramic state that you're in when you're driving. And that's kind of the same thing that we want to get at um, when you're lifting. So like another analogy would be like if you're riding a bicycle and somebody says, hey, are you balanced on a bicycle right now? You don't have to think to know that you're balanced, right? right. You, just are, you just feel it. Yeah, you're just balanced. And, and I think that's the 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 quest for for weightlifting technique is just being able to feel what it is that you're doing rather than having to think about it and this idea of you know okay well if you can imagine that there is an energy flow in your body and that you can push that into a certain area whether or not it's true you know in a in a measurable quantifiable sense it's a helpful analogy because you can kind of have these weird sensory experiences where if you're concentrating on it, you can, you know, kind of lose sense of the shape of your hand or, you know, you can kind of think of it as like, you know, there's just kind of this cloud of sensation, especially if you're not looking. And, you know, if you sit with your eyes closed and don't move long enough, you can kind of forget where your hands are. And there's all kinds of like weird, weird stuff where I've like thought that my hands were on my legs, but they weren't. And, you know, all all kinds of like interesting stuff. And I think that that is a useful analogy to like, okay, well, can I, while I'm sitting here, laying here, can I, you know, quote unquote, shift my energy into just changing your focus to be on, you know, what specific body part you're trying to work on Um, or, you know, what aspect of the lift that you're trying to feel out. And I think that that'll really, what I want to try to do is kind of jumpstart people into being able to kind of tap into that flow state almost where it's, Oh, I'm just kind of moving, yeah. you know, this is becoming more automatic. And I think that it has a lot to do with how many reps have you done? So like, I think, yeah. I think if, if you're a beginner, it's going to be really hard to tap into that. But if you're an intermediate or an advanced athlete, adding some of those little drills in and when you're doing your empty bar work to warm up, trying to, you know, kind of play with your balance or close your eyes and go through the movement and see if you can really feel what pushing through the legs feels like. Um, can be a really good way to improve your efficiency and your technique just by b- having better proprioception. Right, yeah. Well, so, like, I think that it's interesting because I know the Chinese refer to it as qi or qi, but um, I think sometimes we refer to it as tension. Like, create tension in your back. Create tension in the lats. Create, like, lock those in. Like, lock the, the shoulders in and stuff like that. And so that's kind of our way of, like, channel your energy into those areas to create tension so that you're tight and that those areas don't give up on you, especially like the lower back and stuff like that and, and breathing into those areas, using the diaphragm to kind of like create, create that intra-abdominal wall and things like that. So those are different aspects in the way that we explain it, but like I think they're similar to how the Chinese kind of like, like create tension in your body by using prior perception. Like fill your balance, where's your foot balance? How much tension is in the front of your foot? How much tension is in the back? Where's, where's like um, that energy pulled? when you're getting set up in your start position? Is it in your lower back? Is it in your upper chest? Like, where do you feel that tension? Like, where do you feel your energy being pulled into? Yeah, and I think the really important 
part of that is on the other side, which is, you know, a lot of what's really important is being tense in the right areas, yeah. like you were talking about. But too much tension is one of the biggest problems that we see with people, especially, um, you know, learning exercises like uh, high pulls, right? Where we've all seen people do high pulls that look really choppy, right? Oh, that's true, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's from an excess of tension. So it's not just about learning to feel what's tight, but it's about learning to relax everything that doesn't need to be right. tight. Engaging the right things at the right time. And that, and that I think has, has crossover to, you know, what bodybuilders are doing when they learn how to pose. Cause they talk about mind muscle connection a lot. Sure. And it's, you know, when they're, when they're curling, they're focusing on feeling it entirely in the bicep. Right. Exactly. And that's not an external thing, right? So I think that, you know, that idea of mind-muscle connection from bodybuilding and having local awareness in your body that doesn't rely on thought and this idea of, like, moving energies um, are all talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same same stuff. Like, it's just worded differently. Exactly. So I think that, you know, figuring out an accessible way to, you know talk about this and teach it can be a pretty, uh, you know, good thing. Cause yeah. I, I know that, um, uh, I, I, I heard of who's, uh, John bros was having an issue with somebody not using their lats correctly in the front squat or something. And as a, as a remedy, he had them practice posing and like, oh. can you practice flaring your lats? You know, can you push your lats out without doing anything else? And, you know, so I think that, you know, people have been kind of doing a lot of this stuff and it's just kind of recently started clicking for me that all of these things are the same thing. Yeah. Um, And yeah, trying to find kind of interesting ways to implement that into your training. So uh, there's the drill for laying down where you just try to try to sense and then flex and then unsense. You can practice posing in a mirror. Can I contract my lats? Um, And then also using, you know, various kind of closed eye proprioception things with an empty bar of just, okay, rock all your weight to your heels, rock all the weight to your toes, feel what's in the middle. And then repeating that from various positions in the pole. So if you're up at the tall position, rock forward, rock back, find the middle. And then go down to the knee, rock forward, rock back, find the middle. And then do that enough times that you just kind of can feel where you're supposed to be more than trying to think, okay, how far over the bar do my shoulders need to be? Because that's just kind of an extra step. And it's important for learning, like, oh, okay, I need to do this. But I kind of think that, you know, one of the things that I want to start implementing with beginners as they come in is start with trying to build up that kind of body awareness early on. Oh yeah. Especially in beginners. Yeah. Because it'll, it'll pay off in leaps and bounds as you go forward. So, so those are, those are a few of the kind of philosophy related and uh, weightlifting related things that I've been mulling over on our, on our hiatus here. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll bring up some more stuff. I know we took a little bit of a break, but I, like I said, I got sick and then things have kind of been hectic, and, um, but we're gonna get back to it. So we hope that you guys uh, got something out of this podcast, even if it's just an update and knowing we're still alive, but uh, did you wanna add anything else, Grayson? No, you know, I think, um, 
I think we'll save it for next week and uh, we'll get back to maybe doing some um, more focused segments and kind of breaking down uh, some philosophy stuff and kind of dialing in a little bit more technical things. So if you have anything that you want to hear about, feel free to send us an email at asaweightlifting at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram, Albuquerque Strength Academy, and the DMs if you have any questions. And, uh, yeah, until, until next time, guys, uh, we're back from our break, and uh, we hope to see you all soon. All right. Until next time, y'all, happy lifting.